Thanks for reading God's Word to us this morning. If you don't know me, my name's Matt. I'm one of the ministers here at Helensburg and Stanwell Park Anglican Church. Uh, we will be having a question time after uh, the um, sermon. Uh, if you'd like to ans- ask some questions, you can do so using slido.com with the hashtag HBSP. Well, we finally got to the end of the Sermon on the Mount that's recorded for us in the book of Matthew. It's taken us a while to get to the end, hasn't it? And that's mainly because someone put a missions trip in the middle of the year and wasn't able to finish the sermon series before he left. But it has been exciting being part of the mission trip and to see how those who went have had their uh, lives changed. It's brought great joy to me personally to be a part of that trip. Uh, The other benefit of going on a trip like that is that it's also provided me with a number of sermon illustrations that I can use in my sermon today. So that's a bonus for me. And so as we come to the end of this teaching from Jesus, to not only his closest disciples, but also to the crowds, there is a real appeal by Jesus to act on what he has said. His purpose is not just to teach them and for them to be amazed with his teaching so that they can go away astonished and believe that he is a good teacher but not do anything about it. This, the, the appeal by Jesus here is for them to hear and to go away and do something. This appeal by Jesus is to act. And it becomes more and more obvious as you go through the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus encourages us to ask, to seek, to knock in verse 7. He's explaining to us that we are to do to others what we want them to do to us in verse 12. He's telling us to enter by the narrow gate in verse 13. And down in verse 24, he explains the importance of not just hearing these words, but doing them. So it is one thing to hear and even to understand, but it's another thing to be challenged by and obey these words. And so Jesus' appeal to everyone who hears these words is to do them. It says in verse 28 that the crowds were astonished at his teaching. As they left, some would have heard well and acted on what they had heard, while others would have left having been astonished and would have done nothing about it. Let's pray that we will not leave here today and do nothing about Jesus' teaching. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you have sent your Son into the world so that we can become your children who can ask, seek, and knock on the doors of heaven. So we ask for your help to discern what is your will and what is good and acceptable and perfect in your sight. Transform us into the likeness of your Son who came to do your will to serve others for your glory. Help us to be challenged by your word today 
and leave here willing to do what it says. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, this sermon series continually reminds us of the, of the profound truth that the kingdom of heaven is only accessible through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the one with all authority. He is the one who provides the way, the truth, and ultimately, eternal life. Chapter 7, verse 7, begins with this famous saying, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Ask, seek, knock. Jesus here is encouraging us to pray. And if you have a look at the other account of the Lord's Prayer found in the Gospel of Luke, you'll realize that after the Lord's Prayer, this passage about ask, seek, knock, comes directly after it. It is, in a way, a call for us to pray. And Jesus is once again telling us to talk to our Heavenly Father as though he is our Father. There is a simplicity to how we are told to pray. For those of us who have accepted Jesus as our Savior, God is our Father, and as his children... Prayer is coming to him with our requests. But there is an important verse that I would like us to look at in James chapter 4. You're going to see it come up on your screen. In James chapter 4, verse 2, it says, You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And this is where the problem always arises with what Jesus is saying in this passage. We tend to hear these verses as a blanket statement that can be used for anything we want, but it's not a blanket statement by Jesus. It may seem like what Jesus is saying is here that whatever we will persi pers persistently ask for, he will give us. But there are right and there are wrong things to ask for. And we know that God gives us gifts according to his will. And we have to understand his will so that we don't continue to ask for random things that are not part of his will. And we continue to get frustrated and disheartened because God is not answering our prayers the way we want and so we are to ask for wisdom. We are to ask for the things that Jesus has explained to us here in these chapters. We are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We are to knock at the door of heaven. And so before you ask, before you seek, and before you knock, consider what you're asking for and whether or not it is in line with God's will. And then be assured that if it is in line with God's will, for those who ask, they will receive, and they will find, and the door will be open to them. 
Because our Father who is in heaven gives good things to those who ask him. And so this model of prayer before us here is the way that God has chosen for us to express our reliance on him for what we need. It is a conscious effort on our part to humble ourselves before him and be dependent on him. But it presupposes that God will give us what we need according to his will, not according to what we want. And so we have to be willing to accept it and to see his will as good. Well, while we were on this recent mission trip, uh, we finally made it up to Darwin, uh, where we had the opportunity to hear from Bible translators who are working in Aboriginal languages. And they actually use chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, to explain how a direct translation from English into language doesn't often work. Here we read in verse 9 and 10, or which of one of you... If his son asks him for bread, would give him a stone. Or if he asks for fish, would give him a serpent. Well, first of all, Aboriginal people understand very well the analogy between bread and a stone. While we uh, were out in these Aboriginal communities, uh, our Aboriginal friends, they treated us to some of their favorite food. And one of these was dampa cooked in the fire. Now, if you've ever had dampa cooked in a fire with all the ash that covers it, you may have realized the resemblance between dampa and a rock. It could be easy to pick up a rock or a stone and hand it to your son, and for a moment he might think that it is dampa. But God is not deceitful. He will never give us bad things disguised as good things. He will never give us a stone that looks like bread. And secondly, for Aboriginal people, verse 10 is very confusing. For them, the fish is good to eat, and the serpent is also good to eat. Snake is delicious. And so the translators actually explain to us that what Jesus is saying here is that the first thing is good and the second thing is bad. And so they had to make sure that the Aboriginal people understood this, that most people would not offer their child a snake to eat. The snake is meant to be bad. And so what they did is they added the word cheeky in front of snake. So the translation became a cheeky snake. Because for Aboriginal people, the word cheeky actually is used to describe people who are dangerous and harmful. And so to portray the same meaning that we get out of this, they had in their text a cheeky snake that the father would never offer his son. And the whole point is that even though a father is not perfect, they would never offer their child a serpent or a cheeky snake to eat. And if we can recognize this, then how much more will our Heavenly Father, who is perfect, offer us good things rather than bad when we ask for them? 
Are we so naive that we don't even recognize his good gifts that he gives us? Read with me verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Well, this is another famous verse here. It's oftentimes called the golden rule, a rule that seems to be saying that we are to treat everyone fairly. And it does say that, to love everyone, to be kind to everyone. And you have may have heard it said that if you want to be a friend, sorry, if you want a friend, you need to be a friend. But this verse is actually saying a lot more than just this. Because in actual fact, for most of us, and I know for me, we don't just want to be treated well, we actually want preferential treatment. See, I've flown a number of times, more times than I can count, on a plane. And so the excitement of flying on a plane has worn off. But on this mission trip, however, there was a first-time flyer. And it was great to see her excitement as we flew and she got up into the air. She got caught up in all the excitement of flying. But that wasn't the case for me. Because I have this desire that when I enter into a plane and walk past those nice, comfy first-class seats, I think to myself, that's what I want. That would be the exciting part for me. I would be excited if I could be a first-class passenger. See, I hear that before you even take off, you get a nice, warm, moist towel that they put on your head. I've heard that their bathrooms are bigger and better. I mean, you can only imagine the meals that they get in first class. I mean, I don't know if you've realized, but they close a curtain between you and the first class passengers. Can you imagine what they're doing in there? Like, that's what I want. That would excite me. I want to be a first class passenger. So I dream of the day when I get to the airport and I get handed my ticket that the person behind the counter says to me, you know what, we've got spare seats in first class. I dream of the day when they say, we've upgraded you to first class. I want to fly first class because I want preferential treatment. And so one day, maybe, I will be able to fly first class. I'll be upgraded. I wish for more than I deserve because I want better treatment than I deserve. So read this verse very carefully again. In order for me to do to others what I would have done to me, I must treat them with more than they deserve. I have to give them preferential treatment because that's what I want. I have to serve them. I have to be willing to give up my seat for them. Why? Because that is the way that I have been treated by my Heavenly Father. That is the way we have all been treated by our Heavenly Father. Friends, for those of us who know and follow Jesus, we know that we have received more than we ever deserve. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. I have received more than I deserve. And therefore, I must be willing to do more for others. And this is what is said in the law and by the prophets. And knowing that we have received what we do not deserve, and knowing that our Heavenly Father gives us good gifts, then we can read the comparisons that follow in verses 13 through to the end of the chapter, understanding that being a part of God's kingdom requires us to do something about it, to take action. And sometimes people really hammer home a point by repeating themselves over and over again. Jesus here gives five illustrations that all make the same point. Clearly, he wants us to understand something, to understand that we are to do what he says, that we are to take action. And so here Jesus compares two gates and two paths, two kinds of teachers, two types of trees, two kinds of servants, and he finishes with two houses. And every one of these comparisons has the same conclusion. One leads to life, and the other leads to death. So let's read about the narrow gate and the hard path that we are on. Read with me verses 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Three weeks ago to this day, we were in the Aboriginal community of Beswick. And Beswick is a closed community, and so you need permission to go and stay in there. And while we were there, the locals wanted to take us to a very special place. They wanted us to take us to a place where there is a waterfall. And if you watched one of the videos that was sent to you, you might have seen at the end the cheering that went on when I drove the bus out of a riverbed, a dry riverbed. Yes, I got the bus stuck in a dry riverbed, and finally we got it out, and we continued to drive to this waterfall. The entire drive actually into that waterfall was more of a four-wheel drive track than anything else, and I was driving a bus that was not a four-wheel drive bus, and the bus probably shouldn't have ever gone in there, but that's beside the point. We finally got there, even though the, the uh, road was narrow. And when we got in there, when we finally arrived, we found ourselves in a remarkable place. It was beautiful, it was amazing, and it was worth it in the end. See, it may not have seemed like it was worth it for those on that bus who were uh, just passengers as I drove it on that four-wheel drive track. It may not have seemed like it was worth it for them because it was hard. But it finally led to where we wanted to go. It led us to that waterfall. And so does the path that we are all on as we follow Jesus, because the path leads to life. 
on our way to the waterfall, we were the few that went along that path. It was hard. But when we did get there, I think we would have all agreed that it was spectacular. And so too will be the day when we finally reach our heavenly destination. It will be spectacular. And I don't know if you've ever wondered why the gate is narrow and the path is hard. I mean, we all know that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. We know that there are tough times that happen to everybody. We know that we aren't exempt from those tough times, but we also know that we may not have it as tough as, as others around us. So why is the gate narrow and the path hard? Well, the gate is narrow and the way is hard because the way has boundaries. It has a direction. And those boundaries in that direction is defined by our Heavenly Father. And it's explained to us here by Jesus. And it's what we must follow. The path is not set by whatever we want or our sinful desires or by the world around us. The path is set by God. He determines the path that we are on. And it is through Jesus that we enter the narrow gate. And the boundaries that are set and the direction that we are going are a gift that is set by our Heavenly Father for our good. And see, most of us by now would realize that the world around us does not like what Jesus has to say right here. The world does not like hearing that for those of us who follow him, we believe that there is only one way that leads to life. They don't like hearing Jesus himself explain that the gate is narrow and that the only way is through him. And we know that we won't win any popularity contests by agreeing what Jesus says here. The world will disagree with us. They will argue with us on this point. They want there to be many ways, many gates to go through. Whatever gate you want to enter, that's fine. However you want to live your life, that's fine. And if it seems right to you, then somehow you'll make it. Your way will be good enough to lead to life. And we can so easily be swayed by the same sort of thinking. And we can think the way others do what the majority is saying. But you have to be careful because you may just be following the crowd down the wide and easy path which will lead to your destruction. Jesus says that there are only two ways and the way that most people will go will lead to destruction. And so if we accept what Jesus is saying here, it will most likely bring us persecution. And it will be difficult for us. If we say that we believe these words that are spoken here by Jesus, that there is only one way, and that way is through salvation, that only comes through our Lord and Savior, through his death and resurrection, then we will stand out and we will be called fanatics or extremists, or the persecution may even be worse. But the fact is that we cannot hear these words by Jesus 
and then accept what the world is telling us. We can't accept that whatever you believe is acceptable because the scary part is that we cannot avoid where these paths are leading. Jesus says that you cannot escape the destination. And so I want to encourage you to continue on the narrow path. Jesus goes on to explain that there are two kinds of teachers. Those who are called false prophets, who come in, who come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are just wolves, who, can't, who um, can be recognized by their fruit. These are people who may seem as though they're well-intentioned, but over time, they have the ability to lead us astray. And what's interesting is just as it takes a tree time to grow and bear fruit, so too sometimes it takes time for these guys to grow and see them for their fruit. And so we get to the point where even we can't believe that some of these people are actually false prophets. And if you continue reading, there's others who have the ability to prophesy in his name, to cast out demons and do other mighty works and say that they are doing them in his name. But in the end, Jesus will turn to them and say that he never knew them. And it says that they will too also be thrown into the fire. And so what do we make of this passage? I mean, there's a challenge before us, isn't there, put here? to be, be aware of false prophets. And we can be aware of them by knowing and understanding what is written here before us in the Bible. And see, Jesus just hasn't spent time teaching so that he can look wise and all-knowing. He is teaching us wisdom. He's guiding us in righteousness so that we don't only hear these words, but we also to follow them. And when we follow them, we are being equipped to look out and to beware of false prophets. Read with me from verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on, a, on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But did, it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. Here we have two houses, both of which don't seem to be any different when they are completed. Both houses still stand until the rain comes, the floods come, and the winds come. And the storms will come on the just and the unjust, and we are all well aware that we can build our house, we can build our lives on different foundations. But there is only one foundation that will survive the storm. And that is the foundation of Jesus Christ. And we build our lives on his foundation by hearing the words of Jesus and doing them. 
but it's easier said than done. No part of what Jesus has said here on the Sermon on the Mount is easy. Having the attitudes that Jesus describes in the Beatitudes is not easy. What Jesus has said about being persecuted for his sake is not easy. Being the salt and the light of the world is not easy. What Jesus has said about the anger that builds up within us or the lustful desires that lead us to commit adultery in our hearts, what he says about divorce and remarriage is not easy for us to hear. The way he makes us aware of our sinful desires and the way that we retaliate is not easy. The way that we are to love our enemies and pray for them will never be easy for us to do. Praying in general is not easy. Trying to say no to self-centeredness and no to self-righteousness and trying to do things for the right reasons rather than seeking the praise of others is not easy. And so the appeal from Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount for those who do not know him is to listen, to hear his words, to be confronted by sin and then in turn and then turn to him in repentance and to follow him. And the appeal from Jesus, to those of us who already do know him and follow him, is actually no different. We are to hear his words, to continue to be confronted by our sin, and in repentance, make choices to live his way, even though it is not easy. There is only one way, and that way is through Jesus. And his way demands repentance, his way demands trust, his way demands obedience. The crowds were astonished at his teaching. But even still, many turned and chose the easy path. But some heard his words and did them. How will you respond? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to hear these words and do them. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm going to give you a few minutes to consider what was said. You may like to ask a question using slido.com. The band's going to come up and sing a song in a minute or so, and then I'll come back and answer some of those questions.
awesome is it that we can hear Jesus 